0: I heard an interesting idea on a recent episode of Brene Brown's podcast, Unlocking Us. On it, she interviews uh, podcaster and author Tim Ferriss, and he remarks that we become the average of the five people we spend the most time with. And this happens in ways we wouldn't expect, and and in the course of the conversation, he shared how his awareness of this uh, shapes how he responds to invitations to go out for dinner, or um, uh, you know when we used to do that, um, or other invitations to social events. He talks about um, creating particular boundaries because each interaction he's recognized affects him physically or financially or emotionally or relationally in ways that are seen and unseen. And it got me thinking um, about what Jesus was considering when he chose his disciples. So in our gospel for today in First John, or excuse me, in John chapter 1, beginning with verse 35 and going all the way through verse 51, um, Jesus has acquired a few disciples and uh, some heard John's proclamation of who Jesus was and left John's ministry to follow Jesus. Literally, Jesus turns around in the street and discovers that a few of John's disciples have started um, following him. And he asks them what they're looking for, and he they reply, the Son of God. Then they ask where Jesus is staying, and Jesus says, come and see. And that's where we enter the story this morning. Um, this is verses 43 through 51. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him about whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus, son of Joseph of Nazareth. Nathaniel said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. When Jesus saw Nathaniel coming towards him, he said of him, Here is truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael asked him, where did you come to know me? Jesus answered, I saw you under the fig tree before Philip called you. Nathanael replied, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. So there are a lot of things happening in these verses. First, we notice that it's not just Jesus who was going around and gathering the disciples, but the disciples invite others that they know, their friends and their family members. And we also hear this invitation to come and see. The first time we hear it is because those uh, potential disciples wanted to see where Jesus was staying, but really it's more like where Jesus was dwelling, abiding, living. They were wondering about what it was like to live with Jesus. Um, They weren't just asking like what hotel he was staying at, right? Uh, And Jesus says, come and see. He invites them into his life, into his ministry to stay with him, to dwell with him, to abide with him. The next time we hear this phrase, come and see, it is Philip's response to Nathaniel. And in this way, It's an invitation to see others in a new way. Nathanael is from Cana and despises Nazareth. For Nathanael, to suggest that the Messiah comes from this small town is ridiculous. His initial attitude toward Jesus is based on his preconceptions and his contempt for Nazareth, from which he thinks nothing good can come. It's a product of the influence of the people that he's been surrounded with, part of the air that is breathed in Cana, part of the social opinion that he has been steeped in his whole life. It's kind of like what would happen in the summer when I was growing up. We lived about 40 minutes from the border between Wisconsin and Illinois near Lake Geneva, It's a resort town where lots of folks from the Chicagoland area would vacation in the summer. And we tried to avoid Lake Geneva uh, between Memorial Day and Labor Day, but gosh, that's where all the fun stuff was. Shopping and Starbucks and the movie theater and the beach, right? So um, whenever we would go to Lake Geneva, We always complained about the Flatlanders and their bad driving. Those gosh darn folks from Illinois. Well, then I graduated high school and I went to college and I chose a college in Illinois in Rock Island, which is practically on the border between Illinois and Iowa. I must have a thing for uh, being on the borders and... It turns out that those Illinois drivers that I complained about growing up in Wisconsin uh, complained in a similar way about the Iowa drivers. And even later, I ended up moving back to the area and lived in Iowa. So I've been all the folks in this story, right? Um, And you maybe have a similar story, too. Uh, of an opinion that you hold or that the the culture holds that just kind of gets steeped into you. And you you maybe don't even realize that you're carrying it around until you move somewhere new or encounter somebody new or, or something like that. That's the kind of thing that's happening in our story today. There's a preconceived notion about a neighboring community and it affects how Nathaniel sees and expects Jesus to be. But did you notice what happens when Nathaniel and Jesus meet? Jesus knows something about Nathaniel that surprises him. Nathaniel asks Jesus how he knows him, and Jesus tells him how he saw him under the fig tree. And it feels kind of like a throwaway detail, like, Why would that make any difference? And there's not really an explanation given about what this means or anything like that. But in response to that, being seen and recognized and known by Jesus, Nathanael makes a proclamation about who Jesus is. Nathaniel realizes he has been seen by Jesus, exactly as he is, found in a particular way. And that causes him to react with a statement of belief. Okay, so this invitation, come and see, is not just for the disciples that Jesus is talking to. It's for us as well. You were probably expecting that. We are invited today to come and see and abide with Jesus, to be in relationship with Jesus and others. And that starts by being found by Jesus. So what does it mean to be found? Um, It means being known for exactly who you are and who you have been created to be. It's life-changing to be found this way. And it's also uncomfortable to understand that Jesus knows every single thing about us. When we look at this story, when we look at Jesus, when we experience those revelatory moments of Jesus, where we gain a deeper understanding of who Jesus is and what Jesus is about, we also discover something new about ourselves. And those new discoveries bring a relief and also a discomfort. The discomfort comes from the fact that we work really hard to be known in a particular way. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., uh, gave a stirring sermon in February of 1968 about uh, this experience of wanting to be known in a particular way. And so uh, I'll be quoting from his sermon a little bit this morning. And I uh, have only changed the language in terms of um, using inclusive pronouns. So otherwise, these are our Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s words. He says, There is deep down within all of us an instinct It's a kind of drum major instinct, a desire to be out front, a desire to lead the parade, a desire to be first. And it is something that runs the whole gamut of life. We all want to be important, to surpass others, to achieve distinction, to lead the parade. There comes a time that the drum major instinct can become destructive. If this instinct is not harnessed, it becomes a very dangerous Pernicious instinct. When one fails to harness this instinct, they end up trying to push others down in order to push themselves up. And when you do that, you engage in some of the most vicious activities. You will spread evil, vicious, lying gossip on people because you are trying to pull them down in order to push yourself up. The drum major instinct can lead to exclusivism in one's thinking. It can lead one to feel that because they have some training, they're a little better than the person who doesn't have it. Or because they have some economic security, they're a little better than the person who doesn't have it. That's the uncontrolled, twisted use of the drum major instinct. Now, the other thing is it leads to is tragic. And we've seen this happen so often tragic race prejudice. Did you know that a lot of the race problems grow out of the drum major instinct? A need that some people have to feel superior. A need that some people have to feel that they are first and to feel that their white skin ordained them to be first. We'll come back to more of Dr. King's words in a bit, but can you see that in Nathaniel, what he's describing? The way that Nathaniel dismisses Jesus even before he's met him, just because he comes from Nazareth? Can you see that in your own evaluations of others? This is what makes being found a frightening idea. We don't want Jesus to see these parts of us. We don't want to recognize them in ourselves. We don't want Jesus or anyone else to see these parts that carry prejudice, these parts that are complicit in upholding white supremacy. And here's the thing about racism and white supremacy, we're all complicit. It's part of the very structures of our society, including the church. And understanding that we are all prejudiced, that all of us who are white have benefited from these systems of white supremacy, that all of us hold racist ideas and misconceptions because it is part of the cultural context we live in, recognizing that is the first step Toward freedom. Just as understanding that we are sinful moves us to repentance, this new understanding of ourselves, that we try hard to keep hidden, but that Jesus sees, moves us toward new relationship with Christ and new relationship with our neighbors. Reverend Dr. King shares this story in his sermon. I always try to do a little converting when I'm in jail. And when we were in jail in Birmingham the other day, the white wardens all enjoyed coming around the cell to talk about the race problem. And then we got down one day to the point to talk about where they lived and how much they were earning. And when those brothers told me what they were earning, I said, Now you know what? You ought to be marching with us. You're just as poor as the Negroes. And I said, you are put in the position of supporting your oppressor because through prejudice and blindness, you fail to see that the same forces that oppress Negroes in American society oppress poor white people. And all you are living on is the satisfaction of your skin being white and the drum major instinct of thinking you are somebody big because you are white. Now that's a fact. That the poor white has been put in this position where through blindness and prejudice they are forced to support their oppressors. That's a hard word to hear. And I know that as you listen, you might be feeling defensive or sad or angry. When I was first... uh, learning about this, when this was first brought to my attention, I was sad and defensive and angry too. It's a normal reaction to recognizing this about ourselves. It's our sinfulness on full display. But Jesus does not want us to stay mired in sin or guilt. Jesus invites us to come and see. Come and see what the perspective of someone else teaches us. Come and see what we have in common. Come and see how we can work together to make change. That's what the invitation was for Dr. King to the wardens, right? Well, you all should be marching with us. We're in the same boat here. Come march with us, right? So to that end, I'd like to invite you to come and see. Later on Sunday, January 17th, I will be posting a video on our Facebook page and our church website that talks more about racial justice, racism, and white supremacy. I'd like you to watch it and then share what you learned, either in the comments on Facebook, in a journal between you and God, or in a conversation with friends or family. I don't want this to be an exercise in guilt, right? Uh, I want this to be an exercise in hearing and seeing the experience of someone different and yet equally as cherished by God and beginning to understand this difficult system that we live in, that we work in, that benefits us and how we can be part of making a change because the gospel calls us to. This is something I'm working on too. And I'm learning and I'm messing up and I'm trying it again along with you. You are not alone in this learning. Together we can work on harnessing that drum major instinct and offer it to God for transformation. Reverend Dr. King, uh, closes, uh, his sermon like this. Jesus said in substance, Oh, I see. You want to be first. You want to be great. You want to be important. You want to be significant. Well, you ought to be, if you're going to be my disciple, you must be, but he reordered priorities. And he said, keep feeling the need for being important Keep feeling the need for being first, but I want you to be first in love. I want you to be first in generosity. I would add to Dr. King's list, if I can be so bold, that Christ also wants us to be first in service. First in proclaiming Christ through word and deed, and first in striving for justice and peace. First in upholding our baptismal covenant So how do we get there? How do we give witness, sharing our experience of abiding with Jesus, telling others about what that relationship is like, about what he has done for us, and how it has changed us? We respond first to that invitation to come and see. Hearing, seeing, following, abiding, and finding is an epiphany way of life. We listen deeply to those who share their experience of Jesus and we speak about our own. We watch for the presence of Jesus in our midst, looking in places we may have predetermined as unworthy of the divine. We follow Jesus. That is, we simply abide in relationship that reveals to us what real relationship should be. And we find those who have been precluded from a relationship with God by those things and those persons who have decided that Jesus didn't really mean God so loved the world. That God only loves this or that or the ones who look or think or act like me. We reject that. And we invite one another to come and see and be transformed.